That's enough to pursue it. That's everything. There's nothing more fun than saying, I'm working on this. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business, it's about contribution, it's about meaning. That is what we seek, that is what we truly want, and you absolutely are here to serve the world, and I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Thanks to ShipStation for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Get 2021 off to a great start by visiting ShipStation.com. Just use my offer code DREAMJOB to get a 60-day free trial. ShipStation, make ship happen. Also, thanks to Headspace. Life can be stressful even under normal circumstances, and 2020 has challenged even the most difficult times of life. For a free one-month trial, go to headspace.com slash dreamjob. Hey, guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So it's been really nice celebrating Hanukkah the last few days. And I have to say, I was really touched because my husband is not really into gift-giving, but he got me three beautiful gifts. He got me this Dolce & Gabbana bag, such a surprise. He bought me these beautiful earrings. And then he bought me this um, necklace from a company. Uh, you can find them on, on Instagram. It's called Wear Bracha. They're at Wear Bracha, B-R-A-C-H-A. And the money that they make from this jewelry goes to help end human trafficking. And I just love this necklace he bought me. So anyway, I was really touched by his efforts and kindness. And I love gift giving so much that I want to continue to give you guys gifts. So come on over, follow me on Instagram. Every single day, I'm giving away a gift for the next 10 days. We're doing 12 days of giveaways. It started over the weekend. If you're following me on Instagram or you are on my email list, you heard about it already, but come on over. Yesterday, I gave away this beautiful Marc Jacobs bag. Today, I'm giving away this beautiful Tiffany's heart pendant. And every single day, I'm giving you something that I just love, something that I, I'm buying for you that I would buy for myself. All you have to do is follow me on Instagram at kathy.heller and you'll see the details in the post. Also, Made to Do This, Made to Do This is happening again now. We are opening the doors to those of you who are on the wait list. So get on the wait list because you not only are going to be guaranteed a spot, but we have a special bonus gift and an experience just for people who are on the wait list. So if you want to get on the wait list so that you are in the know when Made to Do This doors open, go to madetodothis.com and get on that wait list. You are going to want to be a part of this experience. This program is going to start very soon, right in January, and it will sell out. So get on the wait list, madetodothis.com, so that you are guaranteed a spot and you're in on this awesome extra bonus. But it was just such a rewarding experience. I had so much fun every second of this last made to do this round. It was 12 weeks. We saw over 500 incredible souls come into this program, solidify their idea and turn it into income and build their business. And the testimonials have just been 
unbelievable. We've had almost a hundred video testimonials from our students and made to do this, letting us know just how much this experience has changed their life. Take a listen. Kathy Heller's made to do this program is like, don't keep your day job on steroids. It's like you dive in plus more. Like she's Willy Wonka and it's the chocolate factory. In three months, um, I was able to work through and let go of all of the internal stuff that had been holding me back. Taking the program was was probably one of the greatest moves I could ever have done. I learned to step out of my comfort zone. I learned to really start following my heart and my passion. I learned to trust the process. And I was able to just take my business to another level that I would not have been able to without Kathy's help and guidance. I've put myself out there on Facebook and Instagram in ways I never would have imagined. It is like a business school for the soul. My experience in Kathy Heller's Made to Do This program has been such a blessing in my life. These past 12 weeks have helped me to step out of fear and into bravery so many times. Kathy just holds such an amazing vision and helps you realize what you're capable of. I've taken other programs, but none of them left me feeling this way. And Kathy is the most amazing cheerleader and coach. She whips you in the butt when you need to, but she's there to hold your hand and give you a big squeeze at the same time. I feel now that I, no matter what I do next, I have the courage to put myself out there, to go for it, to just being messy and being that seat student that I've never been in my life. When I started the program, I had no idea what I was gonna do. And now I am starting a podcast, running programs and workshops all about birth. And I know in my heart, it's my passion and my calling. And you helped me recognize that. And I just looked at my numbers and I have officially made more money in the past 12 weeks doing Made to Do This for my company than I had in the entire year and a half prior. I was able to get my first coaching client and just taking action in my business like never before. I have never felt better about myself than I do now after taking the class. I created a new experience that didn't exist for special needs families and I'm so excited that I was given the support and the tools that I needed to get there. Because of this class, I've taken these parts of my life that are seemingly disparate and turned them into a business. Thank you for everything. You are the best. Kathy pours into each individual soul from her heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So in the words of Kathy Heller, let's go. If you want to have a life-changing experience like this, go to madetodothis.com right now and sign up for the waitlist so that you will be the first to know when spots are open for this program so that you are guaranteed a seat so that 2021 is the year that you show up fully and do the thing that you've been wanting to do your entire life. We will help you clarify your idea and go from idea to income in 12 weeks. Go to madetodothis.com and sign up for that waitlist because you'll be the first to know when doors open, you'll be guaranteed a spot, and you will also be given the bonus experience because you're on the waitlist. All I can say is each of us has a divine assignment. I'm certain of it. And we all know that there's something that we were made to do. And we've always known it. And it's time to claim it. All right. So speaking of awesome people with a divine assignment, I'm so happy because we have such a delightful person here today. Phil Rosenthal is joining us. He's an Emmy Award winning TV writer, creator and executive producer of the beloved sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond, which won 16 Emmys. 
16 Emmys. But if that wasn't enough, these days you can see him on his award-winning food and travel documentary series, Somebody Feed Phil. This show is so fun and it's such a treasure. Every episode, Phil is touring a different city and enjoying the cuisine. He's introducing people of all cultures and he's sitting down with, with them and having a bite. But the show is really about just connecting people, which is so needed, especially in these times. Season four just launched on Netflix, so go check it out. And you can watch Phil in awesome spots like Hawaii, Rio de Janeiro, San Francisco, Singapore, and the Mississippi Delta. I know a lot of us can't wait to travel again. And this show is such perfect medicine to soothe that craving. Phil is such a joy and his curiosity and enthusiasm is just unmatched. It's a complete honor to have him here. And it was by far one of the most fun, entertaining conversations I've ever had. So without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Phil Rosenthal. I'm so happy that you're here. You are such a delight. For sure, we have to talk about all the things that are going on, but let's go back. So when you were in high school, were you the funny guy? All I wanted was to be funny. All I wanted was, and I watched TV. Do you know a show? You're too young. But do you know a show called The Honeymooners? Are you kidding? We used to stay up at night. My mom would say, you have to watch your show of shows and The Honeymooners <gasps> instead of going to sleep. And I would stay up and watch those two shows. That was my okay. education. Awesome. So I grew up in the 60s and 70s. You know, when you're a little kid, you don't know there's writing, directing, producing. So I would look at Ralph and Norton and say, I wish I was them. Look at them. Have fun. Look at how funny they are. Listen to the laughs they're getting. And then my own house. My dad is really funny. If you've ever seen the show, he's funny. And he was funny then. And my mother was funny. It's like we were either in my house, we were either yelling or laughing. Right? That's it. There is no in between. Or eating. Yeah. So you wanted to be funny. And then the only legal way for that to manifest itself without you getting thrown out of class is what I mean. Right? So the only way that that's accepted is if you do the school play. So I would do the school play. And I became a big star in high school <laughs> to the point where everyone was saying, you got to do this in college. You got to major in theater in college. So I said, okay, is that the way that I do? Okay. Then I went to Hofstra University and I majored in theater at Hofstra University. And they made me take all these other courses that I knew I would never use like English and play analysis and writing and directing and all the other stuff that I thought, I don't need anything. I just want to go like, hit, you know, the sh show Saturday Night Live. I'd like to do that. Be funny on stage, on television, movies. That's what I want to do. Well, when I graduated from Hofstra and moved into New York City and told everybody in New York, you know, I'm a big star from high school and college, they said, Get out of here. <laughs> so I struggled for years. I couldn't even get an agent. I didn't have the stomach for it. Because in high school and college, all I had to do was show up and they gave me the part. And here, you know what it's like in New York to try to get anything? It's like crazy. It was 40,000 people going for one extra role in a movie or a TV show. The competition is ridiculous. Insane. Right. So some friends of mine and I, after six or seven years of this nonsense of having terrible jobs, I was a security guard at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. <laughs> I was I was a bartender. I sold farm and implement cleaner on the phone. I had horrible. I was a temp. All that all that stuff would turn out to be the stuff that you write about. Mm. You know, if you're going to write about real life, you should have one. 
And boy, did I have one, right? Mm -hmm. But then some friends of mine and I wrote a show for ourselves to be in. You know the phrase, write your own ticket? That's yeah. it. I tell my kids, so they, they're stupid enough to want to be in show business too. They, <laughs> they inherited the family stupidity. And so I say, you got to write it for yourself. They said, we didn't know writing. Yeah, learn it. Do it. You could take a class, learn about the structure. No one can tell you how to, to be funny. You could be funnier, but you could take a class. And I tell if you're interested in acting, take a writing class. If you're interested in writing, take a directing class or an acting class. They're all branches off the same tree. And you want to make the tree as strong as possible because you never know where the job is coming from. What was that, that first was thing? Tony and Tina's Wedding. And that was a big hit off Broadway. And then uh, people saw me in that and said, if you come to Hollywood, you are never going to stop working as an actor. And so I packed a bag and I moved to Los Angeles and I never started working as an actor. <laughs> but now I was a writer also. And a friend of mine and I had written a screenplay even during that time. He was a writer. I didn't know anything. But he said, you're funny. Let's write a screenplay. We wrote a screenplay and we sold that screenplay to HBO in 1988 for $70,000. I had $200 in the bank. And That's now, a lot of money in the early 80s. Yeah. I was a thousand air. <laughs> I went from eating tuna fish for dinner every night to eating whatever I wanted. And that was, that was, I said, oh, maybe writing is the way in, right? And so I started writing. And, you know, I told you that one of my jobs was as a security guard at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. You know what happened to me there? I worked all the different shifts because I would try to get in plays and do things, right? And then at one point I was doing midnight to eight in the morning. That's called the graveyard shift because it's scary like the graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> And I thought, I'm 21, I can stay up. Guess what? They found me one night at 5 a.m. asleep on a 300-year-old bed in a gallery. Yes. And I was, guess what? Fired. It was humiliating. But I didn't know what I was doing. I was drunk on cold medicine and exhaustion. And I actually, there's, <laughs> I always say there's a little plaque there now that says Phil Rosenthal slept here. But I really did. And it was so humiliating to lose that job. Well, uh, come now to eight, nine years later, I'm in Hollywood and I'm, I'm trying to break in the sitcoms. So I get a partner, my friend Oliver Goldstick, whose plays I had been in. And he says, you want to try writing a sitcom uh, spec, meaning a, a sample? Sure. What should we write about? Was well, this show Roseanne, we should write a spec Roseanne, a sample Roseanne. Okay. What will the story be? What if John Goodman's character, her husband, Needs money, they need money, and he gets a second job. And he works the graveyard shift at the local museum, and he falls asleep on a 300-year-old bed. And so we write it, and we start sending it around, and all the agents go, what an imagination. And that, the worst thing that ever happened to me, the lowest point in my life, getting fired from this great museum, <laughs> a stain on the name Rosen, <laughs> became my ticket. And we got hired soon after. So... When does Ray Romano come into your life? How so five years after that moment where I start working on sitcoms and I did a bad one every year, meaning something you never heard <laughs> of, right? But, but I was working for other people, but I was learning the craft. I was learning the trade. Uh -huh. You know, what you can learn on your first show, you can learn on any show. 
And uh, finally, my partner and I got on a show that you did hear of called Coach. And that was, we, were, we got on in, in year four or five of that show. We stayed on for three years. And on the third year, my partner and I split company very amicably. During that third year, I get a video cassette of a comedian that I had seen when he was on the David Letterman show, because I didn't miss the David Letterman show. Every night I watched David Letterman all the way back in college and all the way through. And I remember seeing this comedian. Will you take a meeting with him? Because that's how it works in Hollywood. Comedians are looking for people to create shows for them. And you are looking for talent to write for, right? Especially talent that people want. So after six minutes on the David Letterman show doing his stand-up, Letterman said there should be a show for that guy. And so I met Ray at Arts Deli on Ventura Boulevard. We didn't know what the show would be. So I just asked, so what, what's your background? Well, it turns out he's from Queens like me. And I said, yeah, and, and you have a family? He goes, yeah, I got uh, twin boys, an older daughter. <laughs> my parents live close by. They're always bothering me. And my, my brother's a police sergeant. <laughs> he lives with them. He's my older brother, but he's really jealous of me. He eats every bite of food like this. He touches it to his chin before he eats it. And he's, he's kind of <laughs> jealous. He, he like came over one day, he saw an award I won for comedy. And he said, it never ends for Raymond. Everybody loves Raymond. And I said, well, it doesn't seem like there's anything there we can use. I don't know what story to put this non-actor in. May as well make it close to himself. That sounds like as good a premise as any. And what I don't know about his family, I'm going to fill in with the stories from my family, my characters, right? And then I wrote the pilot and put in a lot of uh, things that have happened to me and, and, and my stupid life in, in the show. And it's this ha- kind of happy or unhappy marriage of, of our lives. You must have told this story 16,000 times, and it is so magical. I tell it because I think it has value for someone starting out. Because none of us think our lives are worth anything, right? And when we go to CBS, for instance, and we pitch, Ray and his family live across the street from his parents. They're not jumping up and down. Oh, my God, that's such a sexy idea. We have to right. do that show. Right. But it's all about the execution of the uh, idea that's going to totally make good. the difference, right? And it turns out that low concept, meaning mm-hmm. doesn't seem like anything, that's the stuff of life. And life is where you can get an almost infinite number of ideas. For us, it lasted nine years of ideas. And then, yes, we ran out. We felt, okay, we've done all we can here. Just the most exquisite, exquisite show. Everything about it. And you're one of the few writers who I feel was there. Like you were, I I knew who you were my whole life. Like, I don't, I don't know that on every single sitcom, I'm aware who the writer is and why that writer is so special, but I just felt you were so central to every aspect of it. And I always knew that you wrote it and it was your work. And I just knew that the whole time. And, you know, I had some of the brilliant comedy minds like Ray is a great writer. And I would say most of the jokes, like the jokes, the funny line. (laughs) That's Ray. And I had all the comedians that he knew to make him comfortable, right? So because he came from a comedian's point of view. So the room was filled with funny people. There's some advice for people. If you ever are lucky enough to get a show, get a sitcom, fill it with very funny people. That's a, (laughs) that'll help you. That's a good tip. 
Good tip, right? The casting, the writing, yeah. and the and again, I said this when you first just came on. You are delightful. If I had to come up with a word for you, it's delightful. You. That show is delightful, right? It's like who can make something funny that's light, that's not nothing was making fun of anybody, nothing was vulgar, and it was just the most delightful, real slice of life, warm, loving, amazing family craziness. So nice. Thank you. Uh, it is uh, true. I can tell you that we had a uh, couple of things. <laughs> One was we took the responsibility of being on television very seriously. CBS was even saying, can you make it hipper and edgier? Yeah. And I'm like, well, you got the right guy. I'm Mr. Hip and Edgy. I, was like, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't do it if I wanted to. Just a little sexier. I'm like, first of all, who in the cast do you want to see in the bathing suit? Really? <laughs> who are you? I mean, Patty Heaton, yes, of course but it's not a sexy, hip and edgy show. You have enough of that, right? Go watch Friends if you want that. This is something else. And as a matter of fact, I thought at the time, we're in the world of Friends and all the shows that are trying to be like Friends. And Friends, if you think about it, is the exception to the rule. You know what I mean? In other words, the beautiful people, God doesn't give usually with both hands. The beautiful people, they're not the funny ones usually, right? So if you look like, me or Ray, you have to develop another thing. <laughs> so we have to try to be funny. But friends, here you had a gorgeous cast who was also funny. Yeah. Then the network, what do they say? Cast the pretty people. Because they don't know what funny is. If they knew what funny was, every show would be funny. But it's not. They, and then the, show the, the landscape was littered with beautiful people can't do it. So I thought just from, a, from even just a business point of view, we should go the other way. We should do the things that like do a show like The Honeymooners or The Odd Couple or Roseanne or uh, All in the Family. These great shows that came before us. This is what we were trying to emulate. And we never did topical jokes so that it would be the stuff that endures your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your parents, with your brother, uh, with your kids. That's the stuff. The best. There's nothing like it. Nothing has been like it since. Nothing can touch it. How soon in were you standing on that set and you went, mm, we struck gold? Like, when did you know I this is? I, first of all, when I started to hear the actors read, I felt like, oh, now we got the brother. Oh, my God. He's going to be great. Oh, my God. We got Peter Boyle. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Doris Roberts hit it out of the park. At the, oh, my God. Patty. He, right. So right there, you think we got something. All I have to do is not screw it up. <laughs> But it was, I remember this moment, episode three. Now remember, you start filming the show, an audience comes in. When you start, the show hasn't been on TV yet. Right. So when live audiences coming in to see this new thing, they're not excited. They would rather be two <laughs> stages down. They're shooting friends. They would rather see friends. Sure. Instead of this new thing with this guy they never heard of and these people. But on episode three, we're filming, show hasn't been on yet. There's a moment where Ray says something to Deborah. He's sitting up next to her on the couch and he says the wrong thing as usual. And she's eating a bowl of ice cream and she takes the ice cream very casually and just turns it over on his lap. And they both just sit there. And the <laughs> audience went crazy. Not because, just because it's ice cream in the lap, but because they understood the relationship and that this is husband and wife territory and that this is relatable, which is maybe the most important word that we learned, that they identified with this 
what wife hasn't wanted to do this other than it's a waste of good ice cream, but they, <laughs> they would, the laugh lasted, you know, and if you're in the business, you start to notice these things over 30 seconds, mm-hmm. 30 seconds of just them sitting a there long time. on Broadway, watching a play and they can't move because the laugh is going. It's different than when you watch a single camera sitcom <laughs> because you're not hearing laughs. But what I love about the four cameras that come with the live audiences is you're seeing a filmed play. It's the perfect in between theater and film, right? You write it, rehearse it, present it as a play, but you record it forever like a film and you get to edit it and have multiple takes. So that's wonderful. They think it's dated. It's not dated. The material is dated. If you do a good job, that's a valid form. In fact, it's such a great form when these things work, they become the number one shows on TV yeah. because people love them at home, right? Just hard. It's hard to get it. So there was that moment. And I turned to the, my friends next to me as that laugh was going. And I said, we might be on to something. Famous words. So yeah. the thing is, you said before, like once you do something, then there's a pressure, right? And it was so good right away. And people did get it. And then I've heard Larry David say this, like, Every season, he was like, "Oh, Gavalt! Like, I, I can't write another twelve episodes. Like, I twenty-five. What? I can't. No, I'm obsessed with him. Were you overwhelmed by that, or were you like, no, I got this? No, 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 never, never, <laughs> never, never, never. I'll tell you that. You want to know the truth? Yeah. First of all, the first year of anything, very hard because you don't know what the show is exactly. So you're trying, like, you're trying clothes on right. to see right. what fits. Not everything fits, not everything works. Little bits of maybe a fantasy element in the show. Well, let's see what that does, right? Where suddenly Ray looks in the mirror and his father is looking back at him, right? Let's try that. Well, that's not why people watch that show, but we had to try it. Maybe it does work. So you have to give yourself the license to try stuff, but then also be smart enough to know this works for the show, this doesn't work for the show. This is where the show strength is and this is where it's not so. Like uh, early on, the network said to help the ratings, raise a sports writer. Why don't you have sports stars in the show? I was like, oh, no, because I'm a student of sitcoms. And I saw whenever you put sports stars in the show, it's not good because that's not why we go to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to be in Romano's living room. We want to see him what? Play basketball. So I did this thing where, you know what a teaser is? The thing before the credits? So I put all those stupid scenes they made us do in the teaser. They were standalone. And then I knew if we were lucky enough to get to syndication, you have to cut a minute or so out of each show. That's the thing that goes. <laughs> so that's what we did. Yeah. I know a lot of people who are as talented as you don't love compliments, but it's true. You're, you're a genius. Oh my what God. do you, th- you are, what do you think makes something funny? All we are, all we have is what we are. And what we are is everything that's happened to us filtered through the way we think. That's what you write. You think it's nothing. I tell people, keep a journal if they want to start. No pressure. This stuff doesn't have to be good. No one ever has to see it. No one. It's for you. Write down anything that pops in your head, right? Man, woman, camera, (laughs) whatever, whatever you want to write, write it down. If something happens to you, write it down. 
right? Entertain yourself. Make nonsense in it. You know, if suddenly a song comes in your head, write the lyrics to that song. Write whatever you want. It's just for you. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And in a month or so, look back at it just for laughs. Hey, wait, that could be a story. That could be something. Mm. That's it. I tell people it's so much easier to write stuff down than to write. Mm -hmm. If I told you, go and go right now, go write a story and make it funny. You go, uh, uh, uh. Yeah. but if you were writing stuff down every day anyway, something funny happened to you. At mm -hmm. some point, nobody lives a life. I, I would dare say no one goes through a week where something funny doesn't happen to them. <laughs> That's true. Right? Yeah. It could yeah. be embarrassing or humiliating, like you get fired from your job for doing something stupid. Right. But write that down. You don't, you never know. The other thing that's going to happen when you start this practice of writing stuff down is you're going to write something down and soon you're going to know, oh, that's something. And it's going to stay with you. That's how you'll know. It stays with, doesn't leave you alone. You're walking the dog, right? You're taking a shower, whatever it is, it's going to go, there's something there, there's something there. And it's going to bother you and bother you and bother you until you have to write that. Is this what you do in a writer's room? You go around and say, like, what's something that's happened to you this week? Or is it a little bit different than that? It's exactly that. And I stole that from <laughs> Paul Reiner. Paul Reiner said to his writers when making the Dick Van Dyke show, what happened at your house this week? Oh, my God. And I thought, look, we're doing a show about a real family, real life. If you worked for me, I would say, go home, get in a fight with your spouse, come back in and tell me about it. And we went home for dinner every night. A lot of shows I worked on, you, they had dinner at work and they stayed till three in the morning. I hated that. First of all, I like my family. Second of all, nothing ever got funnier at three in the morning. You just think it did. <laughs> so, so I thought, this is the homework. This is valuable. Dinner with your family. That's where the stories are going to come from. Mm. And sure enough, 90% of everything you ever saw on that show happened to me or to Ray or to one of the other writers. By the way, so, not to, I don't need to sell books, but I wrote a book about the whole process. It's called You're Lucky, You're Fun. Get the audio book. I read it. It's like having me in the car with you for seven hours. But, uh, but there's valuable stuff in there for how to take your stupid life, right, and turn it into something maybe worthwhile. I love it. We all have this feeling that we are not special. We are not. We have nothing to offer. And certainly, guy who lives across the street from his parents that's nothing special. You make it special by telling the truth. A lot of times we'd be in the writer's room and we're stuck at a story point. What could happen? What would be great here? What is the best thing that could happen at this moment when she enters? What could they? And we sit there sometimes for hours. This is how stupid, really smart writers are, right? Like me. What could be hours? Let's have lunch. Let's not think about it. Okay, we'll have lunch. We're going to and we're stuck and we're stuck and we're stuck. And invariably, out of frustration, having never learned this lesson, what would really happen? Well, she would say, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, and then he would say, nah, nah, nah. ah, that's it. What would really happen? So that's the thing, that was the rule. <laughs> could this happen? And we didn't put anything in the show that couldn't happen in real life. Yeah. Yes, there's slight exaggeration always, but it could in the physical world, it could happen. 
That's what was so obvious and so magical about the show is that it made you feel like your family was normal, like your marriage was normal, your kids were normal. Like it was just such a slice of, and there, I'm not surprised that you just conducted the whole behind the scenes the way you did and people went home for dinner and all that because you could kind of feel the love. There's just an open hearted, genuine love on that set. I love this conversation, but before we keep going, let's just thank our sponsors. Have you ever tried meditation and thought this doesn't work for me or I'm probably doing this all wrong? If mental health is part of your self-care plan this year, you owe it to yourself to try Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. It's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. In fact, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, and it has over 600,000 five-star reviews and over 60 million downloads. Whether you're feeling overwhelmed, stressed, or you're having trouble sleeping or focusing, or you want to improve your well-being, Headspace has a meditation for you. You can easily build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime, anywhere. I've had a long journey with meditation and mindfulness, and this year I got back in touch with it. I can't tell you how much it's helped me get through this crazy time, and I want that for all of us. I've been loving their meditations for reducing anxiety, and it's really helped me manage these busy thoughts. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace's meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash dreamjob. That's headspace.com slash dreamjob for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash dreamjob today and get a free one-month trial. If you sell stuff online, you know how busy 2020 was. Seriously, it's like everyone and their dog was shopping online. And in 2021, it's going to be even bigger. That's why online sellers like you need ShipStation. No matter how much you sell, ShipStation makes it super easy to manage and ship all your orders from all your sales channels faster, cheaper, and more efficiently. You can import orders, ship with any carrier with deeply discounted rates, and automate just about any shipping task. This way, you can spend a lot less time on shipping and a lot more time growing your business. That's why ShipStation has more five-star reviews than any other shipping software. I know a lot of you sell on different platforms like Amazon, Etsy, or your own website, and lucky for you, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface so you can manage them from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all the major carriers like USPS, FedEx, and UPS so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. Get 2021 off to a great start by visiting ShipStation.com. Just use my offer code DREAMJOB to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no hassle, stress-free shipping. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in DREAMJOB. That's ShipStation.com. Enter offer code DREAMJOB. ShipStation, make ship happen. So now, since you started out with this dream of, I want to be on stage, I want to make people laugh, I thought I was going to Hollywood to be in front of the camera, at what point, or was there a point, because now you are in front of the camera, was there a point where you were like, I wish I was on that side? When, or when did that start to come back up for you? When I was writing and, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, directing and producing Raymond, it never, ever occurred to me I should be in the show. Uh, first of all, I didn't want to ruin it. Look at these great people. I didn't, right? I'm not going to up there, right? You know how I got my performance, Jones, out in the writer's room? before we would dare send the script out to other people, I would read the whole script aloud and I would play every part. <laughs> and I did that because scripts are made to be heard. So we had to make sure, and I knew the characters, of course, very well. So I could do all the characters. I could write them and I'm reading and everybody is following along in their pagadas. They're, they're reading along. And every few seconds, I get interrupted, which is really frustrating if you're trying to make a big show. 
and they say, wait, this doesn't make sense, or we could do better, or is this boring now, or could we? And even sometimes I hear myself and I stop and I say, let's oh, wait, there must be something better. And the reading out loud did two things. One, fix the script. Two, I got all the performance anxiety out of my system. I knew, and then, and then we all knew how it was supposed to be, what was in at least the writer's head. Not saying the actors couldn't do it better, but we knew if the intention was somehow not clear to the actors, we knew, oh, when we did it, this is what we were thinking. Oh, not always right, but at least we knew what that was. Yep. After Raymond, the business had changed greatly in those nine years. So then the Friends imitators had mm -hmm. really taken over and nobody wanted another show from me like Raymond. They said they did. But what they really wanted was the money from Raymond yeah. where I do a friends type show, meaning young, beautiful people. I said, no offense. I'm not interested. Not only am I not interested, I don't even know how to write those shows. I know how to write what I know how to write. So I wasn't interested in what they were pitching me on and they were not interested in what I was pitching. And after a few years of that, I did other things. I wrote the book. I made a documentary because they, they asked me to go to Russia to try to turn my sitcom into Everybody Loves Kostya. And, and people can see that. It's called Exporting Raymond. And when the head of Sony told me the idea that he wanted me to go to Russia and observe how they do it and then come back and write a comedy, write a fiction film about a showrunner who goes to Russia. I said, well, if the situation really exists and these are real people, why don't I make a documentary? He goes, I love that idea. Would you be the guy? I said, what do you mean? He goes, go do your show there and be in the movie. So when the president of Sony tells you, go be in the movie, I think you go be in the movie. <laughs> yeah. So of course I wanted to do it. And then the movie is a great comedy because here I thought I was an expert in at least this subject. Everybody loves Raymond. And I went to a land where <laughs> nobody cared. And my family thinks it's hysterical because here Mr. Big Shot goes and I think, you know, they're going to listen to me and they're going to, no, no, the opposite. <laughs> I was treated horribly. And oh. It's a hysterical, it's actually hysterical, the movie. And I'm not putting the Russians down at all. They had their way of doing it. They didn't need some American guy coming over telling them their business. But why did they ask me? That's another question. That's I a whole no other Megillah. Okay, other. so how does it come about that you start eating? Food and going around the world and having the most, again, same word, delightful moments with humans and just so cute. I mean, the warmest, most genuine person, everybody loves you. I think that's the real thing that's going on here. And you know, that's true. So you have a new season. How did this all start? From Raymond. I, uh, we did an episode. I, I asked Ray, what are you doing on your hiatus between season one and season two? This was 1997. Okay. He goes, oh, I go to the Jersey Shore. I said, that's nice. You ever been to Europe? He goes, nah. I said, why not? He goes, oh, I'm not really interested in other cultures, even his own culture, Italian. And I thought, having loved traveling, even when I had no money at all, oh, my God, we got to do that episode where we send you to Russia with that stupid attitude of you're not interested in other cultures, and you come back having been transformed as me, someone excited about travel and the food, especially Italy and the people in Italy and the scenery and everything. He goes, I don't know. I said, we're doing it. And I write the script, a special two-part Raymond 
It took three or four years to number one, get the money from CBS to let us go. Two, get Ray Romano on a plane. Oh my God. Yes. So I write this arc of a character. <laughs> He's not interested. He doesn't want it. And then he gets it. He gets woke. And then he gets it. Then he's uh, in love. Okay, here's the best part. What happens to the character I saw happen to my friend Raymond. He got it. Phil, have you tried this gelato? Can you believe how great it is? Yeah, I can. I've been here. He goes, but the, have you had the lemon and the coconut together? Have you had this? Look at the pizza. Oh, my God. You know, there's another one over there. Yes, it's Italy, right? They have them all over. Yes. And we go, he seems like ping-ponging around the piazzas, uh. right? Like this. So that, I love that so much. You know, I dare say you do what you do because you like turning people on to stuff you like, right? So there's no greater high than that for anybody. So that stayed with me. One day, that was the year 2000, that trip to Italy. And since then, I wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. And Raymond then in 2005, and like I said, I did all these other things. And it took, you know, 10 years before PBS was the first place that said, yeah, we've been looking to do a, a food and travel show with humor for years. So I was, after 10 years, I was in the right place at the right time. But it took 10 years, people, to get the dream. They don't just hand this out. You, you might think, oh, he did Raymond. Now he gets to travel and eat. No, nobody wanted that. My own agents were like, when I said, I'd like to do a food and travel show, they were like, what? It's like I pooped on their desk at the office. <laughs> they, they couldn't believe that I would throw away the sitcom money, which meant their money. You're so adorable. Everything <laughs> you say is like, it's haagen -Dazs. Listen, I took a class at UCLA. They have this whole like mindful awareness place. Yeah. And I was there for a couple of years taking these classes to try to be a better human. And it's hard. So there's a class they gave about how the thing that lights up most in the brain, it's not love and it's not hate. It's enthusiasm. And you have that. And uh, when a person has enthusiasm, yeah. it's magnetic. Yeah. That's like the highest vibration of being alive. And I think that's why people are so drawn to you. It's because that is such a gem of a quality to be that enthusiastic about, look at this, look <laughs> at this. That's you. You're the look at this. It's where everybody aspires to be. And you live there. Here's where that comes from. Honestly, I'm so grateful. I know that you will never speak to a luckier person than me. That's how I feel. I get up in the morning. First of all, I got up. Second of all, look, look, my wife, she's still here. She didn't leave yet. Look, my dog oh my kisses my face. Let's go for a walk, Murray. Here we go. Right? Gorgeous. Even in COVID, I have... You have, everyone has, unless tragedy has befallen you, these blessings. My kids are 26 and 23, okay? No 26 and 23-year-olds wants to have dinner with their parents so much, right? During COVID, almost every night. Monica and I are like, hee-hee, COVID, right? I mean, it's terrible, and we're careful and, and stuff. Oh, no, and, no and I totally get it. Away. so obvious. But there are these hidden little things if you can find them. And I also know with great confidence, and I've been saying this for, I don't know, six months now, this is gonna end. Nobody thought about it. Nobody thought about it ending. We're just in the middle of this crap. It's on our heads. So we don't even see the, the future, but the reason we know it's gonna end is because 
it's ended every other time in human history. So the vaccine's going to come. You see the lady got it yesterday for the first time. You see the old lady got it. Nice. And then the second guy who nice. got it, his name was William Shakespeare. He got it. Okay, so we're going to get it. And then the world will be returned to us. And here's what I think. We're going to be so happy and so grateful that we can travel and go out and hug our friends and go and eat. We're going to be so ecstatic. And that's going to last for two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Back to complain. It's so true. I was going to ask you, were your parents and grandparents like that? Were they nope. grateful for what they had or not so much? Nope. Their lives were much harder than mine. My mother was a concentration camp survivor. My father was born in Germany and got out right after Kristallnacht. He was very lucky. So they had it tough, but they also had the American dream. They both worked very hard. They had two rotten kids who appreciated nothing, fought all the time, and they just wanted quiet. And I told you I made that, I got that script and I sold it for $70,000 and I called my parents. My father was like, oh, it's like, that's America, right? And my mother, why is your father, she gets on the phone, why is your father so excited? What happened? What oh, happened? Oh my God. And I tell her, she goes, what are you, what, what? I said, $70,000. She said, it was just the phone went dead. I said, are you there? Are you there? She goes, do you know we've worked our whole lives to have that money in the bank? That was like everything after 30 years of work, their whole lives to have that. And you little putts, you write some jokes on paper and you, you, they give you that? <laughs> the world is not right. And she's not wrong. That a school teacher should get way less than that a year is ridiculous, right? But it's all about, that's America. Whatever makes money, makes money. So that's what happens. Yeah. The only answer I can give to the inequity of that is you pay it forward. If you're blessed that way, then you have a responsibility. And I couldn't live with myself if I didn't. So we do what we can. So let's talk about paying it forward and... I mean, you're already doing that with, with feeding people, which is just so awesome. But I want to talk about paying it forward in the way that you're showing people the world. And what have you learned about people? What have you learned that is Many. the same about all of us? Tell us. First of all, in general, most people are so much better than their governments. Yeah. But that's all over the world. We're not alone in that, right? Right. Look, the people, most people said, hey, this is crazy. Let's fix this. So they are already better than right, mm -hmm. the people in charge. This happens all over the world. And when I meet people, I'm using food as the great connector. I say food is the great connector. And then for me, laughs are the cement. Mm. So if you and I meet for the first time, might be over food. And if the food comes, it's already relatable because you and I both eat. And that happens all over the world. People got to eat, right? And if the food is any good at all, Oh, it's something pleasant. And we're already in a better mood. Yeah. And I already like you a little better. Why? Because this is delicious. <laughs> so you don't want to kill me because until after, because at least this is good, this chocolate cake. Yeah. I always say if those boys from ISIS would just have oh, uh, some chocolate God. cake with me, everything would be okay. <laughs> and, and I'm only half joking. I know. Because how much chocolate cake do those boys get? Really? So if you're the person that turns them on the chocolate cake, they might like you. So but that true. goes to world policy. 
instead of disenfranchising people all over the world, what if we enfranchise them? What if America was like it used to be? We help you. We feed you. Then people like us. Then they help us when we're in need. When 9-11 happened, remember those days right after 9-11? The whole world was on our side. Yeah. That's what you want in the world, where there's this great interconnection of everybody. And, you know, I go around and they say, do people hate you because you're from America and the government? No, they have the phone like we do. They're getting the exact same information, right? You know the expression, the world is flat? That's what they mean. Everyone has equal now information at the same moment. So they're just scared like us. And they understand also, like we do, the difference between the government and the people. When you're going all these places and meeting all these people and tasting all these things, what are you hoping that you leave them with? Well, you try, even if I didn't have a show and I was just traveling, you are an ambassador. So first of all, you represent yourself. That's important. Then your family, then your neighborhood, then your town, then your city, then your state, then your country, then you suddenly realize, wait, I'm just a citizen of the world and goes back to you again. This is your world. It's not just theirs because it's their country. All of it is everybody's, right? And so you represent, you're trying to leave them with a better feeling about human beings. You're meeting someone who's not from there and look, They smile and laugh and like to eat like you. And they want their children to be happy and healthy too. And they want clean air and water and food. Everybody wants this. They want to live in peace. I did the Israel show, right? All you hear about Israel, conflict, Jews, Arabs, blah, blah, blah. I go, you've been, right? I lived there for two years. So what do you fund? They're not fighting every day. They wouldn't exist if they did. You know, I walk in Tel Aviv, I pass a bakery. It's in the show. It was not planned. I see the people behind the bakery. They said, come in, come in. I see that everybody has a T-shirt. There's 10 guys working back there. Jews and Arabs refuse to be enemies. It's written in English, Arabic, Hebrew. This is a family business for 100 years. That's most of what you see, yep. right? The news doesn't report that. They would never say, oh, did you hear the Jews and Arabs in Tel Aviv today? They got together on that corner. You know what happened? They sat and had lunch like they do every day. That's not going to make CNN. They're all together. You know, they're in the Knesset together. They're in the universities together. They're in the shop. They're just having it. Yeah, but that's, you're right. What's your favorite thing about season four that you want everybody to see? Uh, The first thing jumping, every place I go, I love. But we did the Mississippi Delta. I don't know about the Mississippi Delta. I was like almost hesitant because I thought, what I'm going into the movie Deliverance. I don't know (laughs) what I'm going to see. I have no idea. And I go, and what is it? The opposite. The nicest, sweetest, warmest people, gorgeous scenery, incredible food of all kinds. I was just expecting, you know, heavy, heavy, fatty food. And there's that, the best of that. But then there's all this like stuff you'd find in Brooklyn going on in the middle of a swamp. It's incredible. It's really spectacular. So that's one of my big discoveries. And it was in our own country. So cool. So in summing up, I feel like people who are listening 
what they're going to say, and this is what happens for people when we're in our own way, is we say, but of course he's successful because listen to him. He's smart. He's sweet. He's, he's so brilliant. And people seem to think that they're just not enough. It's always, I don't know that I have anything to offer. And they compare themselves to other people. But what do you say to someone who doesn't think that there's a place for them because there's already people out there who are brilliant? So why does anyone need them? I say, let's assume that's the case. So just for a laugh, start writing stuff down. Maybe nothing will come of it. Probably won't. But do it anyway, just in case. You got nothing to lose, especially during COVID, where we're all sitting at home. That little project that you've been putting off, you got time. Do it. Write something. Make something. Pivot. Look at the restaurant business, how they had to pivot. They took their side business, takeout and delivery, made it the main business. Yeah. And now we're in the golden age of takeout. Yeah, we are. Specifically Uh, speaking about TV, right? It seems like it's such a dinosaur now to think about people who are listening right now who want to do what you've done going into a meeting at CBS, at NBC. It's like the world has changed so much. It's all on Zoom. Right. Would you say start your own show and put it on YouTube? Or would you say, no, you have to get a meeting and write a spec script? Like, I I really don't know the answer. What what, what would you say? We're now like children are born with a movie studio in their pocket. Right. So you use that. It's not just to watch other people's TikToks. If you're really interested, first of all, take a class, read a book about it. If you're really interested, you know, and I can't make you be interested, you have to be interested. But there are, I'm here to say there are resources. I wrote one of them. They use it in school even. So go look, search it out. It's, uh, the internet has everything. And go try anything. Take a cooking class. Take one of those master class things that I see where you learn how to cook or do anything. You are the biggest thing in your way. Yeah. Nobody can stop you from writing, making, doing. No one. And thank God we live in a country where, you know, and I say this in the show, what I love the most in the uh, Declaration of Independence, the pursuit of happiness. Look, we live in a world, in a land where that was written in to the thing. We care about the pursuit of happiness. There's a lot of countries where you do what your father did and that's it. Happiness doesn't enter into it. The pursuit of happiness. So even when I was a starving actor in New York and selling farm and implement cleaner and getting fired from a a job, (laughs) I was still happy because I was pursuing what I wanted. That's enough to pursue it. That's everything. There's nothing more fun than saying, I'm working on this. That's so fun. And you've done so much and you have so much more to do. And what is it, would you say? If you had want, to boil it I down, that makes keep doing the show. I feel like I've only scratched the surface of oh the earth. Oh my God. So we need to keep going because what I'm hearing back from people is that it means something to them and they like it. So I want to keep doing it. Now, Netflix, they don't have shows that run a long time, especially shows like this. Their algorithm says that they get more new subscribers with new shows than more episodes of existing shows. So if you like the show, I would say. It doesn't hurt to call Netflix and say, because they don't know otherwise. They know only from giant numbers. And we have been doing well every season that it goes up. But at any moment, they could say, yeah, that's enough. Because it's always going to be there. The ones you did. The little thumbnail at the bottom of your screen of the poster. 
is always going to be there. But I selfishly want to keep doing it. I don't and other you. things, I'm, I'm working on sitcoms as well, always. I always have ideas for sitcoms, whether anybody wants them or not, is something else. So where do you want to send us to? Netflix, your Instagram, how can we follow along? What's the best way to get access? Where well, should everybody everyone has go? to watch the show. If you're not watching the show, what's wrong with you? What That's is? Number one. Number two, if you want to keep up with me and what I'm eating every day and you want to see an idiot dance around, you go to my Instagram, oh my phil.rosenthal. You can follow me on Twitter, Phil Rosenthal, and I'm on the Facebook, uh, as long as that's in business still, Phil Rosenthal official. And then I'll come to your house if that's not enough. Oh my God. You're so generous. Thank you for being here. It is just such a gift. I love meeting you. You are the best and I've taken too much of your time to be continued. Oh my gosh. So much fun. Okay. Here are the takeaways. Number one, write your own ticket. Number two, give yourself license to try new ideas. Then look at what works and doesn't work. Number three, all we have is what we are and what we are is everything that's happened to us filtered through the way that we think. Number four, you might think you have nothing special to offer, but you make it special by telling the truth. Number five, all of us have blessings hidden in little things. Number six, pay it forward. When you're blessed, you have the responsibility to do what you can. Number seven, we are all citizens of the world. It belongs to everyone. Number eight, you are the biggest thing in your way. Nobody else can stop you from making, writing, or doing. And number nine, the pursuit of what you want is enough to be happy. There's nothing more fun than saying, I'm working on this. Thank you so much for listening, you guys, especially because I know that there's a million things going on. We have amazing guests coming on soon, like Donald Miller is going to be here in the coming weeks, and Julia Cameron is coming back again, and Adam Grant. So please make sure you're already subscribed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, because it's free to subscribe. And if you are subscribed to this podcast, then you've already done one of the biggest pieces of entering these 12 days of giveaways that I'm doing. Just come on over to Instagram. You're going to want to be in on this at kathy.heller. There's a new prize every day. You could enter every single one of these days, and you could win all these prizes at kathy.heller on Instagram. And before we go, I'm curious, did this episode inspire you? Can you think of one person who would be inspired, who would find that this episode was helpful? If you can think of that person, then please share it with them. Email the episode, text them the link, and post about it on your Instagram and tag me at kathy.heller. I'll repost it. Thank you so much for your love and support. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. I don't mind the cold Cause I got you to hold And now I like the snow Cause I take you wherever I go Like a string of
Joe.